Welcome again to We Didn't Start the Fire, a podcast at the intersection of business, technology and society. My name is Theo Priestley and with me today is Phil Harris. Phil has managed to car crash into the loading bay doors of the games industry, stumbling through in a delirium and found a seat and they haven't got rid of him since. Having worked on a number of titles in lots of different genres and on many platforms, as well as journalism, running events, teaching, and a sinister background in government. Going to have to ask him about that later. Phil has managed to survive to give his views today. God knows how. Phil, how the hell did you make me read this one out? Well, you know, you you wanted a bio, and bios have to be interesting. I've always been told that bios have to be fascinating. And because I'm not actually visually on this podcast, I can't talk about um, the glint of the sun dazzling like my enemies off my forehead. So... (laughs) So that seems good enough. And what is the sinister background in government? I mean, it sounds very sort of clandestine and James Bond. Well, well, of course it is. And therefore, because it's clandestine and James Bond, um, I have to remain. I've, I've just worked through a lot of different government departments. I spent um, uh, my formative years, uh, whatever they mean, um, uh, working um, in quite a lot of government departments and with quite a lot of... Um, uh, specialist stuff, um, which has meant that I had to f- sign the Official Secrets Act at one point, um, and that's sort of mutually binding for the rest of my life and possibly for any children that I have or pets. So um, uh, it's um, a bunch of interesting things, And um, uh, but working in government is also uh, interesting because you actually realise that however much it is an ancient dinosaur of a, an organisation, it's often better organised than the private sector. And it's a reason that the private sector will jump at uh, well-trained civil servants because they've just got a different type of attitude to work. And what are you up to just now? Um, At the moment, I am freelancing. I am freelancing for a small company in Mexico and a company in Malaysia. Um, uh, I'm working on my own project at the moment, which is going quite well. Uh, we just sent up a, a film night on Fridays, so that's a group of us are all going to watch a random selected film from Netflix or Prime and um, and then just have a banter about it. But we're obviously going to pick something very, very B-list. Uh, but this is what um, uh, coronavirus does for us. It, 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 it branches us into all types of different things. As I was... Uh, as I was sitting here thinking, you know, as soon as you sit in a seat for a long enough now with all this time on your hands, you're just like, oh, that could be fixed or that could be painted, um, uh, whether people want it painted or fixed or not. <laughs> <laughs> now, I hope you're practicing social distancing with this little party that you've got on. Oh, uh, yeah, using yeah. like Netf- using Netflix party or, or just Zoom or anything else? No, we're going to use um, uh, Facebook. Um, uh, so we're just going to have a group on Facebook and we're going to have a sort of 15-minute introduction sequence um, where we just sort of chat and say hello. Um, so that's a good bit of social thing. And then we will watch the film uh, and we'll have the messenger open so we can comment on the film as we're going. And then we're going to have a, a review at the end. And it's obviously more fun watching something which is crass and terrible rather than uh, something highbrow. Although there are some highbrow things that I've watched with these people. So it, it's just it's just fun and it's doing something with people in different cities. So that's quite cool as well. 
I think it's needed more than ever just now because everyone's feeling a bit of isolation. Do you not think? Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. I, I'm I'm really really lucky because uh, I share my flat with uh, well, I co-own the flat with uh, my friend Scott, and um, uh, he and me get on really really well. It would be terrible if I was living with somebody I didn't get on with, and obviously there's some terrible cases of domestic abuse and things like that which have sort of come up because of. Uh, these events but yeah uh, social contact is really really good Um, uh, living with somebody is obviously better and I definitely reach out to all my friends who are just on their own because they need somebody to talk to and it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the outcomes of this but I think some of the questions you're going to ask me are probably going to sort of trail into that as well. Yeah so I mean you've spent a lot of time in the games industry um and we work together as well on a particular project the games industry right now is on a bit of a high um we've seen esports um really take off especially in formula one and 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 car racing other car racing events we've seen a, a giant uptake in um the video games industry because people are sitting at home and their kids are wanting to do stuff and keep them occupied um it's yeah a bit of a booming time, uh, although under extreme circumstances, isn't it? It is, but it's um, how how long lived is this boom? Um, how how long can it keep going? Uh, video games. If you if you're sitting on your own at home, video games are perfect. They're a perfect thing coming in. If you've suddenly become unemployed, that's a completely different thing. Um, uh, and there's mass unemployment across the globe at the moment, and the Employment is one of the things that brings the revenue into the games industry. Now, quite a lot of times people would go, oh, well, if it's the people at the at the bottom end of the social scale, we, we expect them to sort of come in and out of work quite a lot. But but this uh, current events have like led it to being a vast swathe of the industry. I think it was over 6 million people in the US registered uh, unemployed as of um, uh, early April, which is when we're recording this. And um, uh, and suddenly, uh, you know, with the, with the GDP like uh, dropping and a lot of things like this, uh, I think people have made the purchase buys now, but the games that they're probably going to stick with are the more long-standing ones or the cheaper ones as time goes on. I mean, we've already seen other types of entertainment like film uh, already sort of jump straight onto the PlayStation Store or Prime or Netflix. Um, and because nobody really knows the length of this, um, it it affects the shelf life of marketing and advertising and many other things. Um, the games industry can survive and work um, uh, very easily in a home working environment. I just worry that um, as as money sort of goes, drains out of the system, where we're going to go after that. So you think um, disposable income, obviously, with, with people under mass em- unemployment, disposable income, um, what little there is for some people are just going to go to the more necessities rather than the luxuries. Yeah, and, and, and I actually think that the, the whole format of... Um, of entertainment is going to change, and and it, it's it's not a bad thing, and it's not a good thing. It, it's just going to change. So, 
uh, if we go back to um, my, my father was a, a drama lecturer, and if we go back to sort of the origins of uh, theatre, if we go back to the Greek theatre in the round, where where one person stands on stage or a couple of people stand on stage, and the audience is in an auditorium around them, um, uh, we it was very very interesting as we moved forward to things like VR that we were starting to like reintroduce the theatre in the round in a very very strange way because people were looking at um at plays in a different way rather than this uh, straight sort of play set but i also think that you know there's a lot of indie companies out there who do a lot of very very cheap and fun and friendly projects which are much much more affordable for people to um uh, to purchase and to to try then uh, forking out for a a triple A or a double A like game, uh, whatever that sort of means as well. But you've got to remember as well that people used to just gather in like small groups, and and they can now do that from, via the internet. So just like the film night that I was mentioning, you could gather around and uh, sing songs together. Um, you could uh, start bands together on this type of thing. And then you can start sharing that out with other people. And then the revenue starts to come from the advertising, as we've seen advertising in YouTube streams and things like this. If people are popular, then uh, that's sort of where I see the next stage moving. It's it's very interesting because there's there's a couple of niches in entertainment which have really really they they were close to making their mark now but we're looking at uh, the the Xbox Scholar I think it was called and the PlayStation Five and and what's going to happen to their launches because are they really really going to launch into a very very volatile market and, and is that going to affect them can they hold off um, launching and can they just consider the old consoles. I, I, I know from for a fact that most of the games that were being developed as of uh, today and as of the past were being developed for, for Sony's example, the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5. So, you know, I don't think they've got a worry about having stuff that they can put out there. Uh, but, you know, all the development on the PlayStation 5 side of things, um, uh, how how many people are going to purchase that is that console still going to come out on time i mean that i'm i'm speculating here i do not know this fact it's just a very very suck it and see um uh, situation but just don't suck anything which has obviously touched the surface with the virus on it so <laughs> i have actually read i'm pretty sure um that the xbox series x or whatever it's called now um they're still aiming for um holiday launch at the end of the year which i think is quite ambitious given you know the numbers that we're seeing affected by coronavirus and the unemployment and certainly in the uk we're expected to be under lockdown situation till june maybe at the earliest um, and then uh, physical distancing measures still in place for the rest of the year so what that means for the the workforce what that means for people who are currently out of work and then hoping to be re-engaged like i said i think there will be some aspects of entertainment and video games industry that will be considered a luxury like you say the cheaper end the more kind of sort of sociable games maybe even the mobile games market might explode because obviously they're they're extremely cheap they can either be free or they could be like 99p or five pound and it's like a price of a coffee versus 50 quid 50 60 quid for a full price AAA. So 
we could see a, a rather fragmented split, um, I think, in the, the video games industry. But do you think that the games industry is is going to have to force to change under the pandemic? So there's a lot of resistance to remote working, for example, in the past. There's a lot of resistance to taking people from the outside who don't have a, a full industry background. Do you think um, some of that aloofness might actually be cut down uh, for a change? Okay. I would never say the games industry is aloof. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I would. Um, uh, remote working, that's an interesting one. So um, uh, the games industry um, has endemically... Um, and I use that word reservedly, has endemically uh, uh, always considered that somebody else is trying to steal their work from over their shoulders. When if you actually realistically look at uh, the projects they're working on, stealing that stuff is is fairly impossible for another company to come in and to try and catch up uh, to how a company is doing. Now, uh, in the mobile market, that's slightly different. Um, uh, there are mobile companies out there or companies that work in the mobile market, which uh, uh, see indie games that are successful and they copy the basic structure of them and they uh, they push them out further. Um, and it's easier for them to do that than uh, buying uh, the company that originally did that. In fact, in the past, there was a sort of history of the, uh, of the larger companies buying the smaller companies and then wondering why they weren't producing these things because mobile's uh, an even more volatile market than the uh, the main market because it's just flooded with anybody can like post and there are more more tools uh, which allow games to be made um, dreams for an example on the PlayStation at the moment I haven't played it but obviously it's a game creator so it gives you those opportunities. So um, uh, quite a lot of this in the games industry is, oh, it's got to be on a VPN and things like this. And I'm just working with a couple of companies now who where we've got, you know, they're just throwing Google Docs at me on Facebook and saying, oh, could you have a look at that and do some proofreading on it? And so it's like, yes, yes, I can. Um, uh, do I think that Facebook is a secure medium for sending this? No, no, I don't. But is anybody going to steal it? Probably not. Um, when it comes to my own work, uh, things that are a bit more locked down, but that's because of the nature of the project that I'm working on. Um, so I, I think that what will happen is there will be more freelancing. I think that the homeworking that's going on at the moment is proving to people that they don't really need to go out all the time. I think they need to go out for walks and, and fresh air. I, I really, really think that exercise is important. Um, well, you know, I'm not your doctor, but God damn, it is important. But, um, but there's this... This sense, and, and I'm not just talking about games, I'm talking in a broader series that oh, we've been flying these people back and forth for this meeting and we've managed to have these meetings online. Why, why are we actually um, uh, dependent on, um, on them actually flying out? I mean, there, there is the physical contact and, and things like this. I understand that. But we don't know how long social distancing is going to remain. Within the games industry, there, there's it's all to do with how long this can maintain before there's a breakdown in communication. Because breakdowns in communication with remote working are far, 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 far harder to 
resolve than they are in uh, a physical, we're all in the same room, um, <clears throat> Theo, I have a problem with you, can we discuss it out with your boss type thing? Um, because uh, because the things are just like that. So the other problems of like home working for longer and longer periods the people get in their comfort zone and their comfort zones don't necessarily match other people's comfort zones. When I, when I, did, um, when I did my degree, I did quite a lot of uh, analysis of um, tribal cultures to do with um, the formation of language. Um, and it, it's really, really interesting because there's a lot to be said about how tribal cultures learn versus um, uh, large distinct groups and cities and the things that we've developed into. And it, it's quite important to, to understand that the more and more that we isolate and self-isolate, we, we isolate in a whole bunch of other ways, um, mental health, um, uh, but also in, in our views, we, we sort of stagnate without the company of others. Um, and that's going to be another problem going forward because there's quite a lot of people in all industries who who uh, who suffer from social problems that they don't really recognise at the moment. Um, and I think that the uh, growing pandemic may bring those on. You mentioned um, VR earlier as uh, as something. Um, which the entertainment industry might might gravitate towards, or, or or certainly tried before. I mean, what's your take on VR? Because I mean, to me, VR is still extremely uh, is it is still an extremely niche industry and product. Yes, and um, even more even more so now. I think no, uh, and I agree, and and uh, it's a real shame because I know through some of the groups that I've worked with, the um, uh, VR or more more recognisably AR was uh, going to pick up really, really significantly at the end of this year because major um, glasses brands were starting to do integral like AR glasses. So you could have your normal prescription and AR or you didn't have a prescription at all, but you had AR with them. And, and these are notable brands. These are the cool brands which people would buy um, if they had money um, and people would get invested in. Um, uh, VR is a very, very interesting one. Um, well, my friend was at a, um, a VR conference. No, he, he was at a, a multimedia conference. Um, and there was a panel of people from most of the important um, uh, places, you know, Google, Microsoft, and, uh, and places like this, um, who were all sitting there and uh, all talked about on a panel about VR rather than AR because they although all of these companies have said AR is the leading technology going forward, none of them quite know how to use it. They, they don't understand what it's there for and, and what it can provide. Well, I think anybody who's sort of adopted any form of science fiction has a very, very strong idea, right from Geordie LaForge in Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, uh, which is a sort of prequel to Picard, if anybody's thinking about that, um, but to, to, to like the modern day and, and the idea that the information that we have on our phones, if, if, if we just have to glance with our eyes and we can like trigger that information on our glasses, then, then this is a massive advantage for maps. I think it changes society as well. There's already uh, some 
good reports which say that our brain structure has changed with the uh, adoption of like mobile devices because we have information on hand. So to certain parts of our brain have started to adapt to that very gently, very, very mild. It's not a conspiracy or anything. It's just the fact that if we, we used to remember lots more things because we needed to, because we didn't have these devices with us, but with the devices with us, we have this, this thing there. So I, I think VR was really, really on the edge. It's quite interesting because there's, there's a couple of uh, friends I have who are in VR groups um, and they're, they're still having their VR conferences and things like this. But just as the virus was breaking out, one of them turned around and uh, to me and said, said, people aren't going to fly with like putting on a VR headset that somebody else has worn, have they? And I was like, nope, nope, they're not, because uh, they're just going to talk about infection. And whilst, you know, if, if I give you my phone and I give you um, uh, a, uh, a cleaning cloth and you can clean it so that it's antiseptically clean um, uh, or you can watch me clean it and then I pass it to you still holding the cloth, then you know it's clean and it's acceptable. But if you think about a VR headset and all the little nooks and crannies on there, it's just like, is it ever really, really going to be clean um, uh, passing it across? And therefore, one of the one of the things of VR in entertainment was that you shared it, you know, you 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 went into the room after somebody else to have this VR experience. Just before, well, a little bit before the lockdown, I was in France and there was a great VR experience um, in this Roman amphitheatre. It was really, really fabulous. It really uh, worked very, very well and it helped emphasise the tour and emphasise what was going on. But, but now, when are they going to be able to reintroduce that? So that we still have... They, I hope, um, as things open up again, we'll still have a lot of tourists. But, but how, you know, let's, let's even talk about museums. How are we going to get there? But on the other hand, um, and again, this is a shame that VR hasn't moved so fast. We have some amazing VR experiences which are becoming available online that people can partake with. Um, so that they can get that sense, they can like go around the Louvre and uh, and, and things like this. So so they can see um, uh, the paintings and and things like this. And I, I I admire the galleries and the places that really really moved quickly to open up the world of like art. Um, and I I mean art in the in the much much more general uh, sense and science to people in an educational way so that it could just go and look and see and and I know that the idea is hopefully that they will tempt them forward but if we don't get a vaccine to this and if it's um uh, and it's it remains transmissible then then when do we go back to museums and, and when do we free these things so I I think that VR. If, if this virus had happened two years later, I think we would be talking a completely different story here. And I do not think that VR is dead. I just think that it's on a big hiatus now while, uh, while people understand things. Uh, the, the Star Wars experience I went to in Disney was a VR experience. I just can't see that running um, not now and not for a while and, or people not being comfortable in like partaking in it. Do you think it's always been a question of the the hardware was somewhat um, incongruent with the the level of software that could provide the experience? Um, films like Lawnmower Man back in our day, and then Ready Player One, which you know I, when it came out, I mean I read the book and the book was pulp. 
it was just pure pulp sci-fi and it was great but you know you could tell it was written by you know someone who hadn't ventured most out of their bedroom <laughs> and um and then the um and then when the film came out and you could just tell it was going to die a death because spielberg was banging on about how this was going to be the next wave it was going to you know kick off vr in a big way and i just thought well you just signed the death warrant there mate and and yeah and it bombed obviously as soon as it came out uh, people's people stopped speaking about it um which was a, a great testament to just how bad it was um and i think that almost killed vr for the the public anyway but do you think the 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 luxury and the cost price point of buying hardware will always be far ahead of the public's ability to adopt it and then when you tie that to the fact that the software platforms are always behind the hardware it's never going to come together in the right way it's really interesting because uh, when I was going for my uh, state authorized walk today, I was actually thinking you might ask me this question. Um, uh, so, uh, one accessibility Google Cardboard, um, uh, I with the Samsung phones was amazing. Um, uh, but then the other thing that you're mentioning is the fact that we have walked right back into the um, uh, the Blu-ray HD argument, or before that, the VHS Betamax argument, where we have more, well, more than one format um, going forward, and we're leaving everybody else to sort out how those formats like link together um, in a, a good way, notwithstanding that those formats are expensive. I've got PlayStation VR, um, well, just for... Um, I'm interested in games, obviously, and uh, the development of games. And I've also talked on a number of panels about VR and was involved in a, a white paper about um, about narrative in virtual reality. Um, so, yes, we, we, we have a restrictive medium. It, it reminds me of 3D. And, and then I, I, and as soon as I thought about that, and this was just as was you were asking me the question, um, I thought about the films that I'd seen in 3D and the films that I'd thought used 3D incredibly effectively. And there are two films that I can say that used uh, 3D incredibly effectively. And one of them is Dread with Carl Urban, where they use... They use the 3D for the um, druggy effects, and they use the 3D just to emphasize scenes. So they don't do it all the way through, or if it's there, it's so, so subtle. But when you see like the glass breaking and somebody falling to their death in, in the in a drug and uh, drug induced state, it's amazing. It really, really it took my breath away. I would recommend watching Dread in 3D as long as you are of the appropriate age for that film. Um, and uh, the other one was uh, again. It's another horror film. Sorry, but it, it's uh, it's it was the start of one of the Resident Evil films. And I'm not saying that the Resident Evil films are masters of writing or anything else. But it was the famous uh, crossing in Tokyo with a lot of people crossing it with um, uh, uh, see-through umbrellas, and you could see the rain on the like the different levels of uh, things. And one thing I'll say about um, it's Paul Anderson, yes, the director, is is that he he understood the medium and he understood what he was doing with it, and and VR is the same. It, it, there's there's too many experiences where you can do something at the start of a VR experience and then it's not developed out. 
Um, and one of the things that we talked about in the VR writers room was if you had a newspaper in the very, very first scene and you allowed people to pick it up and read it, then there had to be any time you saw a newspaper, you had to uh, see it again. And it shouldn't be this novel experience. You shouldn't have this initial experience of like, oh, look, I can look at the paper and things like this. And then you go into Blurville in the rest of the game because they couldn't be bothered to like repeat this. But not only that, the stories in the newspaper need to to continue on so that you actually you there's, there's actually stories within the stories it's it's like the game within a game or the play within the play to like use Shakespeare as an example and that's um uh and that's really interesting to understand so I think the medium's not being explored to adapt I think it's very very good for um uh certain things like first person shooters it's really really great for um uh space sims where you're flying a ship i played elite dangerous with vr it's amazing um uh in in the fact of using vr i'm not saying elite dangerous is amazing i think these are the 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 the, the formats that needs to grow and expand out people need to understand um how to use it effectively and then uh, as soon as somebody works that one out i think the price point will drop but i still think vr will always be slightly more niche it will be the sort of steampunk of the greater ar revolution when that comes yeah a couple of things there so one well we'll go back to the ar question then um you what you you and I watched Bandersnatch when it came out on Netflix. Mm. Now, do you think that kind of branching narrative design would work well in a storytelling medium such as VR? So, when you're talking about stories within stories and plays within plays, obviously the first thing that comes to mind, you know, just in terms of stories within stories, are the old fighting fantasy um, type adventure books where you chose your own adventure, much like they did with Bandersnatch. Um, and you had different outcomes and things. Do you think something like that would be quite suited for VR? Because essentially you could literally unpeel so many layers out within the original sort of story arc that you were trying to say. You know, um, is is that something that could work in VR or is that just too linear perhaps? No, I, I think that's truly uh, something that could work in VR. Um, uh, on the Bandersnatch thing, just before we drift away from it, um, uh, look up the articles about the game that it was based on because some of them are hilarious. There's some great... Uh, videos on there there's a one really good article i'll need to dig out um and if you want it for the bottom of the podcast i will but it explains exactly what went wrong in the process and and how expensive this this game was going to be um but going back to that type of thing yes um uh in in its very very nature um, anything uh which has a branching medium is effectively doing the final fantasy thing um, uh, not Final Fantasy, Fighting Fantasy, um, the game books thing, uh, um, except you can't leave your thumb in the last paragraph so that you can <laughs> back and make the other decision. Um, uh, Guilty. Yes. <laughs> Isn't everybody. Um, so I, I do think that that's a very, very powerful uh, medium going forward. Uh, and it's a very, very realistic d- thing to do. Um, also, uh, the peeling back on one environment is something that uh, games companies or any type of virtual reality company wants to see because 
the idea is that art assets cost and um, uh, and making a realistic 3D room takes time. And then if you can use that room again and again and again and over- uncover things there, that's absolutely fantastic. I was, I was recently working with Edinburgh Napier, uh, reviewing some students' work um, on... Uh, projects and and one of the uh, they were doing games projects and one of the things was that their artistic scope was too large and there was a, a thing where oh we start in London and then we're in um uh, and then we're in futuristic France um uh, and so it's like yeah 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 but as soon as you start to not be able to reuse assets again and again and again the 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 budget just starts to go through the the roof and so with VR um. With VR, there's some games that have done it well, and I'm just looking up one because I uh, uh, because I've just realised that um, Moss, yeah, Moss on uh, PlayStation VR was really really good. It, it sort of knew what it was doing with its environments. When you look at it carefully, it uses its environments. It uses the tricks again and again and again, um, and so it becomes. Uh, this game when I, when I uh, write um, in everything that I write, I'm, I'm very much about the the left hand and the right hand, and it's the old magician's trick of like distract them with the left hand so they can't see what the right hand is doing, um, and and games is very much like that, um, uh, and this is where bugs occur as well because somebody's missed one of the those general like left hand right hand moves um or they've forgotten to block a surface or something like that which is uh, generally the same and then uh, people like me go and like run into it and then find different uh things wrong um in some games that's quite amusing in some vr ex- uh, but when it comes to a vr experience if you've ever worn vr goggles and then something's been unbalanced in physics and you've just been thrown up in the air um instantaneously it is amazingly disorientating and that's worse for people who obviously don't like vr in the first place but you know i have actually seen people being physically sick because of like breakages in the game um, or because of the game being uh, developed badly skyrim vr is 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 definitely not a perfect um uh thing and uh, it, it's one of those things that gave me motion sickness and to be a, just to give you an example i also play ace combat um in vr mode as well and jerk my uh, plane around and like a massive stalling turns and usually after about an hour then i'm like that's enough i feel really really <laughs> um but but i but it's to do with making sure that those experiences are polished and therefore that becomes a cost thing because it has to be repeated and repeated and repeated to get things right all those vr games need to be very very simple like a gun range shooting thing uh winding it back to ar this time so a couple of uh, diving a couple of points one of them is um made me think um couple of days ago if what if um pokemon go had been uh released literally about eight weeks ago uh whether it had been it would have been a complete uh commercial disaster which it probably would have been and and the second one is um now that we've seen almost the collapse of uh, magic leap do you think ar has uh as anywhere to go as a you mentioned glasses before, but do you really think it has a, 
as a medium, it actually needs the glasses or can it really exist on the mobile phone? Um, because literally we have that device on us all the time. I think that it will go through stages um, and I think there'll be much slower stages now. So I, I think the initial one will be some head-up display on your glasses um, or on things that you can put on your glasses, which is attached to your phone and effectively works through your mobile device. Um, it could even work. Uh, my friend works in um, sort of experimental technologies, um, uh, social technologies, and, you know, it could work through heat or it could work through lots of different things. There's lots of different ways, taps on your phone or or anything to, to get up what you really, really want. Um, and so uh, I think we will see sort of a generational step before it uh, goes straight into the glasses. It, it's a training um, it's a training regime, uh, to be honest. And again, it helps if everybody's using the same um, uh, same tools. Now, um, Google, um, who I always call our, our friendly evil overlords, um, are, um, are amazing for producing tools, but then they, they abandon them at times as well. Google Wave, I, I will always... I hate them for like removing Google Wave because it really allowed it really helped with like international communications. But uh, I also understand some of the reasons that they do this and and Google experiments a lot. So, but if you could get Google to sort of really, really sort of like knuckle down and say yes, we're one hundred percent behind this and moving forward, and we're providing the platform um, or. Amazon, for example, or just it, it needs to be this one solid platform moving forward so that everybody's uh, coming from the same hymn book, they're using the same tools. I think you'll always get that Apple divide with Android, uh, but I, I feel that Android is sort of united in a wishy-washy way, um, uh, which sort of allows it to keep going. But Android still tries to keep this like, hey, we're indie type feel while still being produced by vast major companies and and conglomerates. It, it really, really depends on, it depends on what happens now, actually, because if we do go for more social distancing for longer and longer periods of time because of this virus, being able to just have somebody you can call up on your uh, glasses and talk to is possibly better than having them on a phone. I much prefer to talk to people by Skype um, or or Zoom or, yeah, I'm not branding anything, just not Discord. Um, I, I ha- I'm really happy to talk to people face-to-face because I can see their face, facial reactions, and that's something that works really, really well for me. And I, and I think that's the important thing, and I think this is one of the things that AR can do, that we can start connecting while we're out with people and uh, and really engage with them and show them what we're seeing at the time. And it's more than just photos and it's more than taking a video. Um, it's it's sort of a live feed. It's it's allowing somebody to to live through your eyes. And and uh, yes, and, and that's a really good tagline, which nobody better steal. But it, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, because... Uh, it's like my walk today. I'm I'm on the edge of the city, and I, I get to walk into the countryside, which is really really nice for my walk a, a day. And it's I know people who are stuck in the inner city and can't justify walking out 
um, into the countryside. But, you know, I could take them with me. And I know it's not quite the same thing, but it's great. I'm thinking about disabled people. I've done a lot of work with disabled people in the past and and people who are restricted either by mental or physical incapacity uh, in their home. This opportunity to get out and see things through the eyes, but also, you know, in my ear to say, well, could you just look around to the right, Phil? And uh, I'd love to see that. And, you know... You, you become a mannequin for that person, but you're doing it for the good of that person as well. So there's a there's an altruistic and and generally good feeling about that. But again, we we come back to this budget thing and where where's the budget coming from uh, and where's the world going to at the moment? Um, and I, I think that the initial stages will be something attached to mobile phones in one way or another, but uh, with a bit more of a head up display on your glasses to to give you those opportunities to to just go hands free, basically. Have you seen um, people have started to watch? Uh, countryside videos from uh, the Witcher video game and uh, and and Skyrim as well. And what they've done is they've literally turned down all the uh, any combat and music effects, cranked up the um, atmosphere, mm. and then just like let it run on on their TV or their computer screen as as a window to another world. And it's quite fascinating how again video game kind of environments because they're becoming more uh, realistic in a sense that people are starting to turn to them and say, you know, I find this really quite tranquil. I don't need to go out today or it's difficult for me to go out full stop. Uh, going back to the point of your accessibility and, and disability side. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, uh, I, you've, you've now made me want to download Flower again, which I'm probably now going to do because <laughs> one, of, one of the nice things about Flower was I could just like take my petal up into the sky and then race down against the ground. But there was no death, there was no threat. And that was really, really quite beautiful because you felt that you were flying in that, even though it was in a 2D environment, you they really got that that feeling right. Um, yeah, I um, I can quite understand that. And it, it's, it's quite logical. Um, the, the feeling of freedom and the feeling of exploring and discovering something on your own is one of the four tenets of like gameplay. It, it's exploring narrative, um, uh, trophy hunting and grinding, and uh, and so I, I can completely understand why people love to explore and the freedom that they feel because they feel that they're the first people to see it. Talking of grinding and your your love of uh, Elite Dangerous, for example, <laughs> do you think you could ever get rid of that that particular tenant in uh, in video games? No, because I actually think it's something people really really enjoy what, what to to do. People people like. Uh, being the person, especially in a multi an MMO, who goes uh, where, when somebody's going, oh, I've got to get four hundred of like of these bronze tridents, and and then somebody like me goes, well, I have just got twenty six thousand that I've managed to save up. Do you want a few? Um, uh, and it, it's it becomes a, an internal economy to the game. It's it's what makes the game work. I think the guy who came up with those four tenets was the guy who made the first multi-user dungeons. And he said you could remove one, but as soon as you remove two, then it it starts to not feel like a game. It's very very hard. So with with chess, we remove narrative. Um, but with Go, I think that there's still a narrative there because it was still, it was designed to help commanders understand like 
the layout of uh, battlefields um, and was still being used by the Japanese army until the 50s or the 60s. Um, it was still part of their, their education. That That's sort of an impressive thing. So I, I feel that grinding is something that some people like. There are people who play flight simulators and fly the plane in real time from one place to another. That is grinding. Um, uh, and if that's what floats their boat or flies their plane in that type of case, because otherwise, yes, anyway, um, uh, then, uh, then, uh, then good, good for them. Uh, and, uh, I wrote an article years ago about Dark Souls and how I actually am not a fan of grinding myself, but how Dark Souls had made me enjoy grinding because I was going through the same levels again and again and again. Um, uh, trying to just eke out those points so that I could move forward. Um, but but again, for me, the reason that that worked was, um, and I don't think I'm talking about Dark Souls, I think I'm talking about Demon Souls, was that the, the guy you came back to to sell your orbs or whatever, the souls to, was just used to say, oh, you've got a heart of gold. Don't let them take it from you. And it was just like, oh, God, I've got to get out of here. This is a terrible place. Um, uh, and, yeah, it's um, it's a very, very interesting analogy. I think that every part is there and feeds certain like players' demands and needs. And I think if you're not aware of what every player wants, then uh, you create an incomplete experience. And as a good friend of mine said, that in an MMO, a massive multiplayer online role-playing game or just massive multiplayer online game, the, the rest of the players are content as much as the game is content. On your um, Going back to your friendly um, evil overlords, Google, right at the start of the conversation, we, 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 st- we talked about PlayStation and we talked about Xbox, and now we have streaming content um, in Google Stadia. Um, what's your perception of, of it? Because the the launch hasn't gone particularly well, has it? I, I think that Google are cooling their jets for a little while. <clears throat> I, I, but going back to this Google experiments with things, I, I think they are experimenting with this, but uh, they're experimenting with it for lots of different reasons. And I also think that they are... Uh, moving forward with this, I, I have heard very, very strong uh, things from of people I know in the industry, um, and I can't really go into names or places that uh, Google have pushed a lot of money into developers to have uh, unique IPs which are being released for Stadia. Uh, how well they will do, uh, I don't know. Um, in the current environment, they may do well if they hit it at the right point and they make it available. They've, they've done a very, very, very good job, Google, of, well, you know, um, Android, YouTube. Uh, I use a Chromebook now because I generally write, and so it's a very, it's just an updated, it's just a bigger Android tablet, to be honest. Um, and also because Android's got a lot of um, good security uh, locked into its very, very nature, as long as you don't allow people just to access the, the root uh, of the device. So I, I think the study is actually in a, in a stronger position 
Again, uh, global events at this point in time, cannot say, but uh, I think that they are planning for a rosier future. And the idea that I can play a game um, on same quality on my, um, on my Chromebook and then just take it to my phone and go and uh, use, use it on the bus. I, I've seen some of this stuff uh, in process and I've seen it, some of it working. And it's incredible, even though the IPs, that the, the intellectual properties that they've got are not, the, um, not unique to Stadia. Uh, if, if we get unique IPs and they're in popular enough brands, uh, I can see people being convinced across. Uh, but this is like anybody trying to break into the console market. We, we've seen people like Sega go, and we've seen, you know, things like the 3DO, amazing, like, machine just disappear uh, because it didn't have the support. Uh, but Google's a much, much bigger and a much, much uh, cleverer company. Um, and one thing I will say about Google, whatever I, I joke about them, um, is the the fact that in general their employees are told that they're free to talk about what they're working on, and so you can go and talk to a Google employee. I mean, you can't be an ass about it, but you can just say, "Or oh, what are you working on?" And they will tend to give you an honest answer. Generally, going back to that thing of why do the games industry keep things secret because people haven't got the time or the money to copy them uh, in most cases. The Google know that there's not anybody who can compete with them in that market uh, who have the AI technology or this or that or whatever to push that forward. And so they just feel secure in that, um, in that endeavor. Um, so uh, study is something that people can just pick up when they want to as well so what i would advise depending on when this podcast goes out but it'll be before like Stadia kicks off in any uh major way is just wait and see and then if you feel that the content on Stadia is unique enough for you to like go across then go across i, I never thought i would have a nintendo device and then i bought a gamecube because resident evil uh, 4 came out on it in the first place and then uh, resident evil 0 and uh, it, to be honest the gamecube is still one of my favorite consoles for lots of different reasons just portability fun uh, really, really accessible and a nicely designed console, um, which was marketed and advertised like a dog by Nintendo, <laughs> which is a shame because it was an amazing console at the time. Do you think we've got around? Uh, we've got into the the whole spec wars thing again with the latest consoles, and we've forgotten about the capabilities or the promise or even the potential. Uh, it's probably the better word of things like Stadia and cloud gaming. I mean, I've seen the uh, Star Citizen uh, running on various tablets and um, really low-powered uh, laptops and a Chromebook as well because you, you can actually play it via via the cloud as long as you've got a good, strong uh, broadband connection. Um, all the hard work and the processing and the graphical work has been done by a server farm somewhere else. So uh, do you think we'll ever get out, out of the... Oh, this uh, you know, this, uh, the, the next console has got fifteen teraflops, but the PlayStation Twelve has got ninety-four teraflops, and blah blah blah. And I, I, I don't think people care anymore. Uh, I, I think they care more about um, backwards compatibility is one thing that they care about. Uh, I feel that they um, uh, care about unique IPs. 
this is where for me the 360 went wrong and and to be honest disney plus went a little wrong as well to be um uh, and they didn't really think their strategy through very clearly the 360 when it launched at e3 yes it did launch at e3 um uh um just sold itself on oh look at all the tv it's a multimedia device but it's a multimedia device for america only um, and people were just like, yeah, yeah, why do we care about that? It's not that the 360 didn't sell well. I, I, it was a successful device. But um, uh, but you, you saw Microsoft straining to try and do more than one thing. They're trying to, to achieve more than one thing. You look at um, the PlayStation. The PlayStation has been a more dedicated device. Has that has that made the PlayStation sell better? Um, I, I think it's probably the better device per se but it's the unique ips that are, are for me selling the playstation 4 it's the it's the things that people go oh i can only play spider-man on the playstation 4 or i can only play this i, I think sony made a brave and I don't, maybe it was an out of contract move i do not know so i'm, I'm talking out of my ass here but they they when that games company's games start to come out on pc or they release the fl- flotilla of them on pc I sort of understand why, because the um, the resellability in Sony uh, of those pro- products was probably much, much lower. But then you look at Shadow of the Colossus, um, and I think I've got at least four different goddamn versions of that game on, 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 on different Sony platforms. But, you know, when I, I got it on uh, PlayStation Plus a couple of months ago, it was just, there, there was no way I wasn't sort of, oh, well, let's just download it and have another go, shall we? Uh, personally, one of my favourite games um, for lots of different reasons. And and so it's it much, much more for me to do with things. A friend of mine, um, and a, a really, really sort of tech-heavy friend, just said, I'm, I'm not going to get anything upgrading my HDTV because it actually I start to be able to see the real detail on the screen to a level that just doesn't feel real anymore. It, it feels non-human um, to see to that level of detail, and therefore... They're not so interested in it, um, and I, I, uh, I, I remember getting an HD TV for the first time, and uh, Planet Earth, BBC's Planet Earth, um, and wow, I just remember going wow, uh, just seeing the snow and the sparkles in the snow, and uh, for me, every time I start to go, well, HD's okay, and, and things like this. Um, I, I put back back on and go, well, no, 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 it's, it's something quite special for me. But I don't really want to go to the next stage. And going back to what I said about, because I mentioned Disney+, Plus, um, uh, I think Disney+, Plus they should have made sure that they could launch in every region at the same time. Uh, piracy is a thing, and I feel that people have found other ways to see quite a lot of the products. And once people start to get into that habit, it's a bit like voting. As soon as they change their party, chances that they'll flip again are much, much higher. And so as soon as they saw a different avenue of opportunity, um, and not that I'm agreeing or justifying that in any way, as soon as they got an avenue of opportunity to see this product at the time people were in America were seeing it, then they took that opportunity because they don't like spoilers. And I don't think very many people like spoilers. 
I can sense that you're talking about the Mandalorian, and I I subscribed to um, Disney Plus, and I was really quite surprised that they've only it launched with only two episodes of the Mandalorian, and they're now having to, well, the UK is is having to basically watch it as a serial, when obviously we've had six months of uh, spoilers already, which is you know like you say it drives people to to seek out other ways to enjoy that content rather than have to suffer any more spoilers. Mm. I, I, I totally agree. I, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying, actually. I, it's very, very interesting that the uh, series have moved back to an episode uh, a week in quite a lot of situations. Picard, uh, Star Trek Discovery being um, uh, two examples, but um, uh, some other products. And I'm... I actually quite like the weekly thing and very, very honestly and interestingly with this sort of Friday film group that I'm setting up and, and things like this series, series are open game as well. And, you know, having something where we can watch a film and then one op- one episode of a series a week and then come back to the next episode next week without knowing that none of the group, not that they would, um, uh, would secretly go and binge the rest of the episodes is really, really cool, actually. It just, again, it, it sort of harks back to that family feel of everybody sitting around the TV at the same time and joining together in watching this experience, be it good or bad or whatever you watch it for, um, rather than everybody just going off to their separate uh, areas and just watching things again and again and again and again um and uh, yeah I, I feel that the you know what what we're doing um on facebook um uh people could do on uh, a whole bunch of different mediums I, I actually think it's up to netflix and prime and disney plus to actually consider what's going on in the world and make moves um, uh, to change their service to suit that. Um, and I could explain why, but in case they're like listening, I'm not going to, because there's really, really easy things that they could do just to uh, make that accessibility and that shareability much, much more and much, much more available for everyone. So just to round off the podcast, I've deliberately kept this one last. <laughs> I know what um, because it's completely outside of what we've kind of been talking about already now something that you and i have already picked up in the press and in various other platforms is the uh, theory that 5g and the coronavirus is somehow linked and and i and i posted on twitter a rather interesting thread that i found on on LinkedIn of all places where it went a little bit deeper in that 5G and coronavirus is actually one of Bill Gates's creations because Bill is coming out saying, you know, our, my, you know, Bill Gates foundation can manufacture seven different varieties of, um, uh, what would you call it? Serum or whatever antibody. And we'll find the right one and then we'll inoculate everyone on mass. And someone has latched onto this and said, oh, this is Bill's plan all along. He's actually evil and he wants to inject us all with nanochips with 5G embedded in them to be able to control our minds forever. And and it was pointed out to me quite quite funnily that the 
the guy who was spouting this off and, and the chain and the thread was just incredible of how many people actually supported this. Um, but they were all complaining on a platform that is owned by Microsoft that was started by Bill Gates in the first place. So uh, the the irony, irony was not lost on me, but I mean, where do we go with these people like that? Because I mean, everywhere you go, there is a conspiracy theory, but this one just seems to take the biscuit. Um, so I uh, let, let's start off with facts and then drift into the fantasy. Um, uh, so it, it is true. There are, there are reports that uh, 5G provides, uh, produces certain like levels of radiation, um, as does 4G and 3G. Um, but anyway, uh, this is because it's using waves and radio waves of uh, one form or another, which are radiation. Um, uh, it's not that big a conspiracy. It is just one of those things. Um, uh, we've already got to the point where people identified that um, holding your headset next to your head could be worse than using uh, some type of uh, earphones and like microphone. Um, and then a lot of people use earphones and microphones. A lot of people still put their mobile phones to their heads. To be honest, I make less calls with my mobile phone now so it's not usually near my head at all um uh just a couple of family calls um every month so um so so yes um uh radiation is a thing it's uh available in a lot of different sources um including the ones that we're using at the moment to talk um uh the the idea that uh so, so the idea that uh, the coronavirus and 5G are somehow linked is uh, akin to the Bible code. Uh, the Bible code uh, uh, is great. You know, the Bible code works, but it works on every book that is being printed in the world. If you apply the right things, then the Bible code works across it. It is not a religious thing. It is not to do with the Bible. It is not to do with any other book. It is just something that is there. This means that if you want to try and find a link between things, you will find it if you want to go down that rabbit hole and, and do things like this. And it also shows the amazing banality of people, that people in there, thousands have died in Iran, um, uh, which is obviously a major target for 5G because Iran's 5G must be incredible for them to have been so badly infected. Um, uh, and, and I find it insulting. Um, insulting when people are dying out there um, uh, and there is not enough protective equipment. And I, I don't even want to think about India and Africa at this point in time, uh, where, where people I know in America are very, very scared, but people I know in Britain are very scared. Uh, I've had more than one friend who's uh, had a serious bout of like the COVID-19 inf uh, infection and they've, they've been laid up. Luckily, I know nobody who's been in hospital yet. Um, but I know, uh, but I'm one degree of separation from somebody who's died. So, uh, sorry, two degrees of separation from somebody who's died. And, and that, you know, and, and it's there and it, it will happen. 
it, it's a it's a really really deadly virus. Uh, the idea that people are smashing down mobile towers or burning down mobile towers, uh, do they realize that they are disrupting a communications thread, a, a massive communications net, which the emergency services need to be able to operate in this crisis? Uh, they're, they're under enough strain as it is without people going and doing absolutely idiotic, idiotic things. Um, and, and, and again, just like combining these things, Bill Gates' organization can do this type of thing because he's very, very rich and he's actually a really quite altruistic guy. After he left Microsoft, he sort of changed his tack or he decided he was something that he decided and that's why he left because he can do things like this. And, you know, a, a friend of mine on Facebook just said, if there's any friends out there who are, who are, worried about money, uh, please just come to me and talk to me. And he, he said, you wouldn't be my friends on Facebook if I wasn't offering this. People do altruistic things. We are in a very, very interesting time in the world. And people need to come together and they need to pull together against one thing or another. And creating absolute moronic uh, linkages between things which have nothing factual based in them at all it is is just rubbish it, it is absolute rubbish um uh, it's not that microsoft and the ccp which is the chinese communist party particularly get on very well anyway but um but but you know but one of my problems throughout this whole thing, and one of my, uh, and I, I think you know this anyway, is is I like a certain level of fact checking. Going back two or three times, I uh, posted a um, a video, an interview with a virologist um, on Facebook uh, a couple of days ago. Really good interview, um, and uh, she she worked on the uh, Ebola crisis. So I think her credentials are pretty like as. Uh, shot down that she's a virologist but she you knows she said i'm a virologist not an epidemi epidemiologist there's a difference and you know if you understand that difference you understand what questions she can and can't answer but she even explained that while going through the interview this 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 random linking of things um in the world is going to kill us to be honest I, I worry that people think that you know that this this is the case because I've uh, and I worry about people who think that this is just not a zoonotic like um, infection and I worry about the fact that people can't um, they can't read the past and see what happened in the past as well so so you know was 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 the Spanish flu. Um, a, a really, really early experiment with this, you know, before five G and existed, just in case, um, uh, you know, was it was it a steampunk nano um, uh, disease? The, the, this is ridiculous. Um, things like this were supposed to happen. There's, there's some things that I would like to see in my lifetime which are supposed to happen, but you know, it, there, there were already scientists saying it's been far too long since we've had something like this spread across the earth and as the earth warms up it's more likely to happen as well and there's the scientific data about that out there but um and uh, it, it, yeah it, it, watch things like the the pandemic documentary on netflix uh, and understand 
what happened in the past and how difficult it was to control there. And then understand that now we have major things like flying across the globe all the time, things like this, how these things spread and the, uh, and the understanding that they spread really, really quickly with, with a, and, and I'm not going to criticize China here, um, bar the fact that I think they should have been honest and open and locked down earlier because we might have not been in such a bad case. But I still think it would have got out. I think it would have spread. People, when they're feared, when they feel they're infected, they can run, they can cross borders, they can get past police lines and things like this. And they, this thing can spread. It just, uh, and, and that's the, uh, that's the worrying thing. It's an enemy we can't see. Um, and, uh, and, that that that's the the scary thing, and I, and I think a lot of these stories just come from people not only having too much time on their hands, but not being able to um, do proper research and define the nature of where the information came from. Again, talking about this virologist who was talking, um, who didn't obviously address this question that you asked me, but um, uh, so the, the the person who was questioning her said said. Oh, um, uh, what about mutation? Um, is COVID nineteen likely to mutate? And she said, and he, he said, she said, well, I only get that from one source. And she said, and he said, what source is that? And he said, the press. So if the press are providing this source, then people will feed into this source. Um, uh, and it, if if she, as a virologist who is on the front line of like dealing with these these things has not been in any meeting with anybody to suggest that like mutation is there, then uh, I don't think mutation is there. And the idea is that if this is a proper virus, then it will mutate. But as she said in this interview, mutations happen because the uh, when the virus um, replicates itself, when it's transferring, it, it makes a mistake. It has a flaw in it, and that's what usually causes a mutation. It's not something that just happens overnight, and it's it, it, a mutation can be both good and bad. It, it, it depends on what happens to the virus when it mutates and what part, if it's a critical part of the virus that's affected. So, um, uh, no, it, it, it drives me up the wall, this type of thing, um, because... It, it really doesn't help. It doesn't help in the global situation that we're um, uh, fighting at the time. And it's, it's max of paranoia. And the reasons I feel that the paranoia might be there, the fact that uh, the social media and the media that we're fed is often controlled. And by controlled, I mean that as you use your browser more and more, your browser starts to adapt to the things that you normally search for. And for me as a writer, I do quite a lot of clearing my cache. Uh, or cache um, uh, all the time to make sure that um, uh, I get as free and fresh a set of information as possible. And I tend to ignore anything which I see on Facebook unless it's got good links to facts and factual documents that have led to that. Bit of a rant, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's fine. I just want to sort of close this one off by highlighting two points. One is that um, 
misinformation seems to spread faster than uh, a virus does. And the second one is there's no cure for stupid, is there? No, no, there is no cure for stupid. <laughs> um, Phil, thanks very much for taking this time to have a, a chinwag. Where, where can the good people of the world find out more about you? Um, uh, on Twitter, I am at Philip G. Harris, all one word, uh, one L in Philip. Um, uh, although I prefer to go by Phil, but um, Phil Harris is uh, famous in all types of pharmaceuticals, vaudeville singers, captains of the deepest catch. <laughs> Lord, there's too many Phil Harrises out there. So I'm Philip G. Harris. Um, uh, and you can get me on LinkedIn and I'll provide you with the link so that um, uh, people can just add and chat to me there. Always happy to chat. Um, uh, always happy to be reasonable. I will not be addressing... Um, anything to do with 5g (laughs) (laughs) thanks for that clarification phil thank you very much for joining me tonight thanks for you take care um well that wraps up for this uh, episode of we didn't start the fire thanks very much for joining me and phil you can find this podcast on spotify itunes google podcast anchor fm please spread the word and subscribe until next time 